0: As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we do pray that that you would speak what is true right through to whatever it is that we need to hear today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable to you, God, our rock, our healer, our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. So Jesus is healer. This is a really tough one for me. After four weeks of two-a-day preseason and workouts, the day before our first game of my junior year, in the last five minutes of practice, I threw up a ball to hit a jump serve just like I had a thousand times in the past four weeks. And I guess I was more exhausted than I had realized because I came down and landed just a millisecond before I was ready, and my, la- my knee was hyperextended, and just like that, I tore my ACL. I remember falling to the ground, and I knew exactly what had happened because this had happened to me four years prior when I was in high school to my other knee. And I remember laying there, didn't cry, didn't cry out in pain. I was just so incredibly mad and so disappointed. I remember saying to God, why me? Why again? This is supposed to be my banner year. And I was going to use the sport to glorify you, God. And I remember that night, just like it was yesterday, going to sleep. And as I fell asleep, praying with all of my might, And I recalled that scripture, the one who prays and does not doubt can move mountains. And I did not doubt. And I prayed with every fiber of my being that God would knit my ligament back together. And I fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning and I I wiggled my foot. And guess what? It was exactly the same as when I had fallen asleep. But I had a crisis of faith at that moment. And from then on, for about 15 years, I decided I wasn't going to pray for healing anymore. I decided that obviously I wasn't the person that had enough faith to move mountains. And so those type of prayers, although other people could do them, weren't going to come from me. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe God just is concerned with, you know, spiritual healing, not physical healing. So the scripture we're going to look at today is a tough one for me. And what we're going to see from Scripture is that Jesus is actually concerned with both. Jesus is concerned with making sure that we are physically well, but that Jesus is also concerned with our whole well-being. So I want you to follow along with me. This is a rather long verse, rather long verses, and it's, we're continuing to look at the Gospel of Mark. This is chapter 5. Hear now the word of our Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus, he came and when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, and she had spent all that she had. But she was no better but worse. She had heard about Jesus, and so she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. For she said, oh, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned. And he looks at the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? And his disciples say to him, you see the crowd, Jesus, pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman Knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader, Jairus's house, to tell him, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing... What they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jesus allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to Jairus' house, he saw this commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. When Jesus entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up, and she began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There are a few things I want us to notice about what is included in the scripture here and what is not included in the scripture. In the first part of our scene, we are told about a man. We're told his name and we're told what he does. It's Jairus and he is a synagogue ruler. We are told that that he approaches Jesus, falls onto his hands and feet, and then repeatedly begs Jesus Because something is going on with his daughter and and it's a crisis. He says she is at the point of death. So time is of the essence. It is an emergency. And so Jesus goes. But you know, in scripture, there's always more than one person in need. And so as Jesus is beginning to move through the crowd, the next person shows up in our scene. And this, this person is not named. This person is a woman and we are told that she has been bleeding for 12 years. And you see, what this would have meant for a first century Jewish woman is that if she was bleeding from her womb, she was considered ritually unpure. And this meant that she wasn't allowed to go into worship. This meant she most likely was, had very limited exposure to other people. And this certainly meant she was not able to bear children which was the only thing that a woman could gain status by in a first century culture, unless the woman had a lot of money. But we're told she's visited all these doctors. She has nothing left. In fact, she has grown worse. So we have this story of this known person, and it is suddenly interrupted by this unknown person. And yet Jesus doesn't play favorites based on age, status, stage, or, or even on the urgency of the need. Although it seems as if these two people are as far apart socially and culturally as they possibly can be, there's some things that connect them together. And my prayer is that as we discover their similarities amidst their great differences, that we too might see how their story speaks into ours today. First, both the woman... And Jairus are willing to admit to Jesus their need. And they're willing to admit it in front of other people. You see, as soon as Jesus arrives by the boat to the shore, the Jewish ruler comes up. And we're told that there's a crowd of people. It's not as if he took Jesus aside to have a private conversation. And and what we know up to this point in the Gospel of Mark is that the Jewish leaders were already in opposition to this person named Jesus And yet Jairus doesn't care. He doesn't care what the culture is saying about this person of Jesus because he is desperate. And so he falls before Jesus, a place of complete humility, and says, come and lay your hands on my daughter. Then we have our unnamed bleeding woman. We are told she's been under the care of several doctors. She's not getting better. She's getting worse. This woman is desperate as well. And she touches Jesus' cloak, and the scripture tells us that she's the bleeding stops. And listen, I'd never thought of this. She could have just run away, healed. The bleeding had stopped. And Jesus turns around and says, who is it? And she, in that moment, is willing to admit that she was the one that had a need. Now, I'll admit, I, like so many of you, like to really put a happy face on and make it seem like I've got it all together, But part of healing involves admitting that there is something that needs to be healed. I can't tell you how many times our staff finds out about stuff that has gone on in your life that you knew about weeks, months after it has happened. The church is the body of Christ on this earth and part of being church is caring for one another. In the early church, we see in the, gospel, in the Acts that the believers, it says literally, the believers were together of one heart and mind, and there was no needy person among them. You see, they were able to give abundantly of their gifts, but they were also willing to admit where they had needs. Why do we feel like we cannot share our needs, especially in our community of faith? Why does it seem like if we hold our needs so closely to our chest, it will make it feel safer? And it will make it feel as if we have more control. I remember when I was a child and I got this awful splinter in my thumb. And and I screamed and I wailed. And what did my mom do? Let me see it. Of course not. I ran away from her. I hid in a closet. I thought if I just hold that and squeeze tight enough, surely the splinter is going to come out. Well, of course, as I sat in the closet, I realized that my thumb was beginning to swell and my hand was beginning to throb, and I had to reach this point of I'm not going to be able to handle this on my own. I reached a point where the need that I had was greater than the fear of letting someone else in on it. You see, we too think if we just keep our needs and our pain hidden it will eventually go away. We fear that letting others in on it will actually make it worse than the pain that we already have. But y'all, when we keep our pain and our needs hidden from others, it feels safer, but only for a short time. These stories in scripture challenge us that we have to share our pain with others. So I want you just to consider for a moment, where do you need healing? Where do you need healing? Do you have a procedure coming up? And although it is very routine, you've got a little bit of anxiety going on. Have you been given a diagnosis that you think if you tell someone else, they'll start to look at you differently? Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone you care deeply for. Might we be able to, like Jairus, to ask for help in a humble way? Or do we really want to wait Until the pain is unbearable and our anxieties are swelling and our hearts are throbbing. What if part of letting Jesus be healer is just admitting that we all have something that needs to be healed? I want to encourage you to share your needs with someone. If you're going through a really rough time or just a slightly rough time, I want you to ask us for a Stephen minister, someone that can walk alongside you and listen Use the prayer request cards that are in front of you. Send us an email in. Go over by the windows after this service today and have someone pray for you. Being in relationship with Jesus means we are following a healer. And Jesus desires for us to admit where it is that we need healing. And we need to do that for each other here at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. So the first thing we see about these two characters is that they were willing to admit their need. But but the second thing about Jesus as healer that links the two of them together is that whenever Jesus heals, it has more to do when, with just physical healing. There's something else going on here. In fact, the word that is used for heal throughout the Gospels and throughout the Gospel of Mark is most often translated as to be saved, to be saved, to be made whole. In Mark 8, it says this, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. That's the same word for healed. When Jesus spoke of being saved, it wasn't saved from something It was saved for something. Saved for abundant life now, even when our lives might seem a wreck. Saved for wholeness, even when our bodies do not feel well. You see, when when the woman reaches out to touch Jesus, we are told that she's healed. That's a different word. It is not until Jesus speaks that she is made well. That she is made whole. that she is saved and this is this is the interesting thing is that right before he tells her that she is healed he gives her this word he says go in peace do y'all remember last week that i told you that when jesus is on the boat and they're in the midst of the storm and he shouts to the storm peace be still that is not the peace that's here the peace that he uses here with this woman is the shalom It is the fruit of the spirit peace. It is the peace that passes all understanding. It is the peace that says finally you get to not be ostracized from your community. Finally, you have been saved for worship. You are able to go back into the temple. You have been given wholeness and well-being for the first time in 12 years. Now I need to be really clear. I know that all of us have prayed for God to heal someone we love. I know many of you over the weekend got a text about the Dearman's grandchild, and you were praying that this one-year-old would live. I hope that you have heard stories of miracles where people have been healed. But let's just be honest. Haven't you heard a lot where people haven't? Right? Right? I know it is really, really hard. It is painful, and it's so confusing. I mean, if God heals one child with cancer, why doesn't God heal this other child with cancer? And I can't stand up here and tell you that there is a formula for the time of day, the number of people, and how holy they are that need to get together to pray so that things come out the other way. I couldn't stand up here and tell you how we can all remain young. But this is what the scripture tells me, y'all. When Jesus heals people, it involves more than just addressing the physical needs. I am in no way trying to lighten the load to say, you know, you know what, maybe you didn't receive physical healing, but don't worry, God has spiritually healed you and he will give you peace. In my opinion, that just makes it seem like God doesn't care about physical healing. And from the scriptures, we know that all of Jesus' encounters had to do with him having compassion and care for those that were physically and mentally sick. I received a glimpse of what it looks like, this this kind of tension between we, we want Jesus to be a healer, but how do we wrestle with the fact that it doesn't seem like Jesus does it all the time? And I received a glimpse into what this looks like with our incoming class of deacons and elders. I've had the privilege of spending time with them over the past four weeks, and and we have heard their stories. And I heard story after story of how they had prayed, and some of them received physical healing from people in their life or for people in their life, but all of them have been made well. All of them have, have had illness, fear, death, disappointment, These men and women have humbly chosen to follow Jesus and admit where they need healing. They have demonstrated to us the importance of seeking out encounters with Jesus, to reaching out and and asking to touch and, and touching the cloak of Jesus with the hope of something happening, to fall before him and say, I need healing. Like I said at the beginning, this is a tough one for me, but this is what I can say. Jesus is a healer, and when we risk telling others, when we risk reaching out to touch and have an encounter with Jesus, Jesus heals. I'm going to pray for myself and for you all, for those that I love, that Jesus will heal. No matter what it looks like, I'm going to tell others, I'm going to reach out and try to have more encounters with Jesus there's this uh, passage in the Gospels where Jesus is approached by a man who asks for healing. And Jesus says to the man, do you believe? And y'all know what, what the man says back? He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love that. Because it's not like at that point Jesus said to the guy, oh, sorry, you're only 50% believing. Can't help you. Jesus heals even in the midst of his unbelief. And so that's what gives me assurance this day is as difficult as a topic as this is for all of us, Jesus still heals. And so before we're gonna say a prayer together as a community, we are going to claim that Jesus is healer together. I want us just to take a moment of quiet and I want you to call to mind, where do you need healing? And where do the people in your life need healing? Will y'all pray with me? God of all comfort, for those whose hearts are troubled or spirits crushed by sin or circumstance, good Lord, deliver them. Bring healing and wholeness of mind, body, and spirit. God, bring us freedom to be the person we were always meant to be and help us by your spirit to be the hands and feet of our healing Lord, to our family, our friends, our neighbors, the stranger, and the world. Amen.